0: It is January nineteenth, twenty eighteen. My name is Daniel Vader, and this is the Android Central podcast, a very special gaming edition, brought to you by Gamestash. This week, I am very, very happy to welcome back Russell Holly, our VR AR gaming wonderkind uh I, I don't know what else to call you russell you're just a, a jack of all a jack of all games
1: <laughs> i guess at some point i did i need like a proper title because like it's really long i can't put that on a business card <laughs> you could you could i just don't think anybody would accept it and i was told that jackass of all trades was inappropriate
0: oh i would th- i would totally call you back if you gave me a business card with jackass of all trades i think i'm doing it uh and celebrating his second anniversary at mobile nations are Gaming editor, short and sweet, Mark Legace. Welcome to the podcast for the first time. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. It's been a long time coming. I feel. <laughs> yes, you've you've been you've been nipping at my ankles for a long time, saying when are we going to talk games? So yeah, uh, I felt like this was the the perfect time considering that it's a little slow. There's a lull between CES and MWC, and actually, this is a topic that I've been wanting to talk about for a long time, too, because game, uh, gaming on Android is is interesting. We're in, a, a, I would say, a very good place right now uh, when it comes to high-quality games being released to the platform. But there is still a little bit of a stigma around the tensions between premium games, paid games, and free-to-play, which dominate the, uh, the Google Play Store uh, in terms of revenue. So we'll get to that in a bit. But as always, we're going to start with some follow-up and we're going to touch on some of the the hot news topics of the week. And I think the biggest thing that has been dominating, at least our newsroom, this week is a potential and now confirmed breach of OnePlus's credit card systems that happened. Now we know between November 2017 and uh, January recently, just just a few days ago. Um, and Russell, this. This is bad. This uh, this is one of the worst things that we've seen uh, happen to a company that has done and had done to it some very terrible things. OnePlus says that forty thousand users have been potentially affected by this breach if they chose to buy a OnePlus phone or product on the uh, the company's e-commerce site.
1: Uh, what do you think is going to happen now? It's it's such a weird thing because you know on on the one hand. Uh, this is a really terrible thing to happen to any company, but it, in particular, a small company. It's it you know can be truly damning to to have something like this happen. Uh, but OnePlus is one of those weird companies where their their user base is really they're they're devoted people. I mean, heaven help you for saying something bad about OnePlus on on Twitter or or in the Android Central forums. They will they will descend upon you. But uh but the, yeah, this is this is bad. I, I want to hear something from OnePlus about what they're doing to make sure this doesn't ever happen again before I give serious consideration to you know to using them as a as a way to spend money. And I, th- I think that may be the more important detail here is that most purchases for OnePlus products have to be done on the OnePlus website. It's not like they have a tremendous Amazon presence or uh or they're you know, available in carrier stores or anything like that. This is, you know, when you want to buy something from OnePlus, you just about always buy it from their website. So, Mark, this is something that
0: we've heard from retailers time and time again: a malicious script or some hack was perpetrated uh, on one of the servers that would then get in the middle of these payments and and essentially steal credit cards. As Russell mentioned, you know, us in North America, we don't typically have to deal with this. We buy our unlocked phones from Amazon or Newegg or a very trustworthy e-commerce site, or we walk into a carrier store. Um, But how many people do you know that have purchased OnePlus products on the company's website or are much more willing in general to buy unlocked products from maybe not as scrupulous retailers just to get a cheaper price?
2: Like I know just a small handful of people um, that that own OnePlus phones, uh, but yeah, I feel like this is just like a bad hit because I I I always talk like you know people ask me all the time like oh you write about phones what are like the best phones I always like to talk up OnePlus because they're a really interesting company I think like I like the phones they make but man it's gonna be like hard to to even bring them up in conversation now with like this because yeah like you say you can really only buy them for for now especially in Canada through through the OnePlus site. Um, And now it's like, can you really even recommend their phones until like, because this is like their breaches is is an issue with their security to some degree, but somebody maliciously went after this information too. So it's like, they're the victims here, but and so are the customers. And so it's like, it's just a it's just a rough situation overall. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. Um,
0: Obviously OnePlus is not responsible in the overarching sense of the word here they are irresponsible in the sense that they left their server open to this type of script insertion but from yahoo to uh to target to sony yeah sony oh my gosh sony is still the the biggest one you know this is not the first time we've heard of such a uh, of, of such a uh a hacker or hackers getting into a system like this. I think the really troubling part about this is, as you said, this is really the only place that people can, uh, and and many people can purchase OnePlus products, and that the the sheer numbers, 40,000, mean that invariably all of these people will have to get new credit cards. This isn't some case of, oh, they may have gotten your home address, they may have gotten a few personal details, OnePlus has confirmed that basically anybody affected by this script has had their credit card compromised. And even if no purchases, illegal purchases have been made on those credit cards, those numbers are out there in some yeah. lists, somewhere, waiting to be sold or have been sold already.
2: Yeah, that's, I mean, it's scary. Like I've, I've personally been like very close to buying OnePlus phones in the past, but I haven't like the, the latest ones, but Man, again, it's just going to leave me wondering outside of like the main sites, you know, like Amazon or, or places that you buy things or just your carrier. I've always kind of been a little upset that the, the sometimes the, the selection isn't as good. But just knowing that my card's not going to get skimmed if I go to TELUS or something and get my phone through there versus, you know, you just never know, I guess. And I'm, I'm so I feel like a lot of people are like a lot more casual with just buying things online from different like e-commerce sites out there these days because they're just everywhere that you never really, you just assume that the security is going to be there and that nothing like this is going to happen. But time and time again, we just keep seeing that it happens. So
0: yeah. And, and Russell, this is, this definitely has the potential to shake the reputation for a company that, as you said, is small, is growing, is uh, full of passionate, loyal users. But ultimately, and realistically, this is going to blow over. We've seen it time and time again with companies. Samsung is the biggest example with the Note 7. This, you know, the Note 7 blew up. I mean, the, the, it was far worse than a credit card breach. However, they rebounded very quickly. I
1: wouldn't even call that a rebound. I, think, they, I don't even feel like Samsung stumbled,
0: you know? It was It was extraordinary and i would argue that oneplus's user base much smaller given is is more is more loyal and i i mean some of the responses to our report this morning show that people are already defending oneplus mm-hmm. obviously this is not uh i mean it, it's it's so tough right because oneplus like every e, e- retailer um employs an outside Point of sale system to process all of these thousands of credit cards. They don't store the credit cards on their servers, but, and and those credit card details are transferred to those point of sale, uh, to to the point of sale companies with uh, encryption. But the script infiltrated the server before that information was sent and encrypted. So, that basically is. It looks like it's a man in the middle attack, where as you were typing in your credit card information and pressing submit, it was the, the, the script was essentially intercepting those numbers, siphoning siphoning them off to a document somewhere, and then letting them go to the point of sale. Uh, it's 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 doesn't seem like it's all that sophisticated. It's just unfortunate that it happened to a company like OnePlus.
1: Yeah, and I mean, realistically, so, this is what happens when, when security on this level is not a priority, you know, and, and it's, that can be said of any company that's not picking on OnePlus.
0: One thing that the company's saying, obviously, we're very sorry. Uh, they're being as transparent as possible. They're also saying... We are working with our providers and local authorities to better address the incident. We are also working with our current payment providers to implement a more secure credit card payment method, as well as conducting an in-depth security audit. All these measures will help us prevent such incidents from happening in the future. Uh, as uh, as said many times on OnePlus.net, PayPal users were not affected. I definitely think PayPal usage If people are choosing to buy OnePlus phone in the future once this is resolved, I think PayPal usage is going to skyrocket because that is a much more well-tested, much more secure, and I think just an overall better payment solution.
1: For anybody that has PayPal access, I think they should use it. Or maybe by the time they get this fixed, we'll see a Google Pay button on their website.
0: Ah, good call. Oh, that's a good—that's actually— Interesting. I, I I forgot that Google had uh, had done this. I um I was really sick during CES, so everything that I wrote <laughs> was as, just a blur. I've completely forgotten. <laughs> I have no idea what it was I did. So bad CES. for you about that week. <laughs> that was a very fun week. Um, so we're gonna move along and let's talk about some foldable phones. Mark, uh, do you want a foldable phone? Have you seen the movie Her? Is that interesting to you?
2: I don't Does know, I this can, every every time I see a foldable phone, it just reminds me of like a Nintendo DS, and that's kind of like some cozy feelings from from that. But uh, I don't know. I've never had one in my hands to like actually see if it's if it makes sense. I could see it making some sense, like, uh, but it, I guess it would all depend on like the app support, right? Like, not all the apps are going to be supportive of this dual screen setup out of the box, so. Or, in, assume, uh, anyways. in previous examples, any apps supporting. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it would be cool if, like, with the proper support, like, you know, I, I like gaming. And I feel like there'd be a, a whole bunch of really cool applications that game developers could use. But whether that would ever happen, whether people are actually going to buy them, it's kind of like... with you know, chicken or the egg, like, are people going to buy these phones, or are people going to develop for them, or, you know, which you need one to come before the other, so. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so I bring this up because this week has seen a a lot of reports surrounding two potential, or or three, actually, potential devices. Uh, The the more well-known Galaxy X, this is a, a company, or this is a product that Samsung reportedly showed behind closed doors at CES to a bunch of Uh, analysts. They are showing prototypes of this upcoming product. They've been teasing foldable devices for years as the next vanguard for mobile computing. Making it foldable uh, obviously means that it can take up less space, but also there are a number of use cases, as you mentioned, a Nintendo DS-like gaming solution, uh, the ability to have a much larger screen or two screens in a smaller form factor, tons of potential uh, impacts on the way that we use our mobile device. The way that the comp- that the movie Her showed it, uh, it was sort of it was used as as a stand. You 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 fold this phone in half. You can use it as a stand for vlogging, for video conferencing, whatever you want. You'd also turn around so that you only need a single camera. We've seen this phone sort of exist in the form of the ZTE Axon M, but it's a hot mess at and that's putting it, that, that, that's a that's a compliment. <laughs> it is not a good phone. It's It's got so many software issues, as Mark mentioned. You have to build custom experiences for these two screens. And ZTE just does not have the developer community behind it. It doesn't have the influence in the Android market to really make that happen. But Samsung's Galaxy X prototype seems to have both the design chops and the support of the biggest smartphone company in the world behind it. So
2: that could make things very, very different. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, just the idea of a bendable phone. wasn't like just a couple of years ago that like any bending of a phone was looked at as like the worst possible thing that could happen to your phone. And now we're just like inviting that. Like, I don't know. I feel like I'd <laughs> like to see this in practice and like how reliable this thing is. Before like I could even buy into this because i I have a bad track record for breaking phones, and this just looks like it's going to be like an accident waiting to happen somehow if there's a way to break it I'll figure out how so well, I don't know
0: Russell I mean you remember devices that curve the the, the G flex line from LG oh, is an yeah. obvious example um you know this was a a phone that didn't Bend, I mean, it wasn't supposed to bend, but it had a bit of it had a bit of flex to it. Right, you could push down on it; it would get it would it would get back to its shape. The PCB was made to bend a little bit, and the screen itself was also given a little bit of flex. Um, this Galaxy X prototype seems like it's employing something like the Microsoft Surface Book hinge—that snake-like hinge where it can it can bend to. Pretty much fulfill any form if you want it to. If you want it to stay there, as long as it has enough, um, ha- has enough support. So it could be really interesting.
1: Yeah, it has the potential to be really interesting, and you know, software is is going to be just the big question there. I, I think uh, even Samsung's you know control over the market and, and ability to influence developers has some pretty finite limits. I mean, we saw how long it took samsung to convince developers to to get on board with multi-window uh and and you know while it still happened much faster i think than than even google was able to get multi-window to work in in android proper it it took a while you know before uh before a lot of apps uh supported it in a way that made sense so i'm I'm hesitant to to be excited about something like that until Samsung can say this is what you're going to do with it. Uh, but at the same time, you know, having a phone that that I can just kind of fold using that that surface style hinge and then have uh, like a keyboard for when I wanted to do something a little more than I would be comfortable doing with like swipe typing, I think I'd be on board with that if it was done well.
0: And so the other thing that we're seeing this week is uh, a couple of patents from LG that show a foldable phone that, once opened, expands into what looks like a tablet. Uh, This is obviously not a product. It's something that all companies do. They patent ideas just to get ahead of them. They iterate on them. But what's really interesting is that both Samsung and LG see this as the next natural step for smartphones. Something that, you know, we we've we've seen especially with Android tablets, but the tablet market in general drop off significantly over the ne- of the last few years as phones get bigger and we realize that we only need one or only want one device around us at all times. Mark, do you think that this is the natural step for phones that you, you know, we're we're doing more work on them anyway? We want them to be everything to everyone. We want them to be a tablet. We want them to be a laptop. And we've seen it this week with Project Linda from Razer, um, trying to use your phone as a conduit
2: to do more and better work. Do you want this to be the next big thing? Um, yeah, I, I'm really interested in, in this. I think it it makes more sense with like the price of phones rising as they are year after year that if I can do more things more different ways with my phone rather than just use it like I have been for the last five years, you know, just I think that really just add like at least justifies in my mind spending like a thousand dollars or more on like a brand new device if it can like actually do more. Because every every year the companies say, oh, it can do more. But it's usually just, you know, something you just stick in your pocket, pull out. It's got a nice camera, a nice screen. But, you know, like these these drawings here, the renderings, um it's like a phone that folds out to be a tablet size like i can i can picture that i, I watch a lot of like youtube or or netflix on my phone to have be able to like fold it out to the size of like a, basically a tablet would be a really cool feature and um you know and then even like the the, the razor uh, project linda that you're talking about i i freaking loved that like just the concept of and how they designed it all Uh, but again, I don't think I would buy that unless that was bundled with the phone at the same time. I don't think I'd buy an additional accessory, but if the the company start just saying like, this is how this, you use this phone. Now there's more ways I'm all on board for that. I like it. So
0: this is not something that's going to happen anytime soon. I think we may see a galaxy X type device in 2018, but it's more likely 2019. I also don't know if, like with 3d like with curved displays in general uh this is something that it 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 almost sounds like change for change sake like we're just we're, we're butting up the natural we're butting at the natural end of of what we think a slab of glass and metal looks like you know phones mm-hmm. all kind of look the same are we just doing this because we need to change things because people are bored, or because there's actual utility to be gained from this. I, I don't know. I mean, it seems it seems like it could work. It seems like there's a lot of potential there. But right now, that's, to me, all it is just potential.
2: Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I think it always just comes down to support from like app developers, or if you can do if you can actually do things with it. <laughs> right? Like, it's cool to have the the latest hotness. But if it is just going to like look neat and not actually be functional in the ways that you're hoping it to be, then it's kind of unfortunate, right? So. so one thing that we do know is that LG is
0: not going ahead with what we thought or what it thought was the G7. This week, the company confirmed that it wouldn't be debuting a phone at MWC, nor would a phone in general be called the G7. That project has been put on hold and we don't know what that LG flagship will look like, but there's a rumor that instead of launching a brand new product at MWC, the company may launch a refreshed version of the V30. Uh, the company's new vice chairman said in an interview during CES that it doesn't need to update its phones every year because people are holding on to their devices longer, that they don't see a need to iterate just for you know the sake of making a new phone and that they'll release phones when the time comes when when it's necessary so Russell the v30 is the best phone LG's ever released but there are some obvious problems with it especially around the cameras the front-facing camera is hot garbage uh, the rear cameras as well are not nearly as good as they could be given the price point and the competition is that gonna be a big deal do you think people are going to care about a V32 or V30B or whatever it's called
1: yeah i don't know because you know when when we talk about the the camera's not being as good uh you know we it's it's also easy to to kind of overlook that there there's also way more of them Uh, the the wide angle camera there are some people who just love it like can't get enough of having that ability on hand without having to clip something onto the back of the phone and LG seemed to really cling on to that but it, it clearly wasn't enough to sell phones so I'm I I would be I would be curious to see how they move forward in a way that addresses that. I think, you know, if if it means ditching both cameras so that they have one really good camera on both sides, I think that's going to really upset the people that are passionate about those phones right now. But it may be the better choice moving forward. Because like you said, they're, you know, when they're, they're really kind of middle of the pack for just about everything when it comes to imaging.
0: Right, exactly. So obviously, we also know the V30 screen pretty much the same as that of the Pixel 2 XL, which means wasn't really that good not saying it's bad but it's LG's first stab at a really you know high resolution OLED display my guess changes to the camera improvements to the screen per- potentially new colors you release it as a special edition you know you could you could get a few new customers but it, as i mentioned in an article that i in a, uh, an editorial i wrote this this week i don't think anything LG does is going to have a positive effect at this point. The company is struggling to, to get market share above 10% in the US. This has been a long time problem, and it's not just for LG. LG is the poster child of a success, and I say success in quotes, successful company, Mark, that is, it just can't compete with Apple and Samsung. It For, for whatever it does, it's made two of the best phones on the market with the, the, with the G6 and the V30. It just cannot get through to the average consumer. I, I don't know. Is it what? What's your opinion when you think about LG as a company? What could it do? Is it just marketing? Is it just is it just better software? Like, hmm. what do you think needs to happen?
2: Yeah, I don't know. I, like when I think of LG, I immediately think of like either like appliances or televisions before phones. Like that's uh, maybe that's. I don't know. That's just like where my mind goes because I've seen maybe I had more experience using those than the actual phones themselves. And I've, but like I think just in general, the only time I ever really see LG phones is if I'm in like a carrier shop, and they're again, it's always just like the the stuff I'm looking past when I'm looking at like the new Samsung phone or, or something else. It, it I don't know. It, it, the marketing seems like non-existent for their phone, at least from what I've seen in Canada. And I know some people that that use their phones and love their phones, and they're good phones. But just the marketing, and I guess just the trendiness of it, just hasn't clicked. And, and I spend so much time online in all these places where you would naturally see ads for for all these different phones. But I just don't, I don't see LG in that space as much. And maybe they don't have, maybe they don't. They, that's part of the problem is that they they don't want to push too much into marketing because it might not work even still. So, but. I don't know. When you compare it to like the huge campaigns that Samsung and Apple always do whenever they have a new new device out, people just don't know that there's like the, the V30 or the the G6 unless they go to their carriers and the the salespeople there push them themselves. Because I just don't think that there's they're just an unknown quantity compared to like like you said, they're a big company, but like their phone side of things is like seems second tier in North America that's the problem. I mean,
0: every single carrier has a good relationship with LG, but every single carrier has a better relationship with Samsung and Apple. Yeah, And, and like, that's really what it comes down to. If you want an Android phone, most people go for a Samsung. Um, and if you have, if you don't want an Android phone, you've already bought an iPhone. So yeah, this is uh, not going to change. LG can, I think it was, what's really interesting. And, and as I noted in the, Uh, in the editorial lg essentially is in the opposite position in the television market it owns oled tvs it's got a way better reputation and yet on the on, on the phone side it there's just because of the way that the carrier system works in north america it can't catch a break
1: it's very strange russell what kind of tv do you have I have a pair of Samsungs, but I recognize that LG makes, like, when it comes to, like, the very high end, their their displays are just phenomenal. Well, I just don't want to spend that much money on a television because I'm yeah, I, I hear bad you. about it. Like, I, I could sit in a store and rationalize that, yes, this $2,500 television is the best television I could possibly buy, but I have $400... So I'm going to get this Samsung instead.
0: <laughs> yeah, I get that. I I will admit I bought a LG OLED TV for Boxing Day because I was sporting a 2009, like a 43-inch Samsung LED or LCD from 2009. Barely 1080p. This thing was a piece of crap. Um, and it was time for an upgrade. <laughs> but then I realized like I had to make sure I had a 4k box luckily i have an nvidia shield so that was fine um and and yet lg kind of uh ruins the experience out of the box by enabling like what's that like true true motion or whatever they call it the
1: it's 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 on everything It's it's on every television they all enable it and it's like there there are so many people uh, there, there was a running joke. Who was that? I think it was Ryan Johnson, the the guy who did uh, the Last Jedi, uh, made a comment over Christmas saying, you know, don't don't forget when you go to your parents' house this Christmas to go and turn off true motion on their television, uh, because yeah, it's, it is it's awful.
0: And the, the the director of the Last Jedi is the person who should be, you know, well informed <laughs> on frame rates and and refresh rates and. Yeah, it just it looks so fake. It's like um the Hobbit in um in 48 frames per second. You know, when the first movie came out and everybody went to the theater thinking that 48 frames is going to be uh, the next big thing. It was such I was there. a terrible experience. I was there. there
1: opening night and I was so excited and, and I went why does half of this movie look fake? It's I don't understand.
0: Yeah, it it was so weird. Yeah. And I'm glad the the rest like the the next 4 or 5 Hobbit movies didn't have it, but yeah, it was it was just it was it was really unfortunate. Um but you know, I I I think I think that in general LG is going to continue struggling in the smart in the smartphone space, but it's not going anywhere and it can't go anywhere because the phone is the thing. It's it's always going to be the thing, right? It needs a good smartphone ecosystem to be a hero for all of its other products. So that's you know why LG continues to make phones and be a player in the smartphone space even though it's lost money for 11 quarters. That's a long time. That's almost 3 years. So um let's let's take a break and we'll and, and we'll come back with uh with talk on Android gaming. But first I want to thank our sponsor Thrifter. So Thrifter is we've, we've talked about thrifter every week it's a place where you go to get really good deals and it doesn't mean it doesn't matter if it's tech or lifestyle or weird stuff that you didn't think you needed thrifter is the place to get it you go to thrifter.com and it's actually really simple there are now categories where you just you click and it filters for you so if you want just smart home you click on smart home and it filters all those deals for you if you want smartphones you do that too and you can actually find some really really good um so that's you know what you get with thrifter but as we do every week as well i want to take this opportunity to highlight one or two deals that you think are worth pursuing this week um so, Mark, you're the first. You're you're new to this. Yeah, you've never you've never been put on the hot seat. So I'll 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 throw you into the fire. What's well, your thrifter
2: recommendation for this week? Yeah, just from quickly looking here, I, I was immediately drawn to Madden eighteen down from sixty to twenty dollars. I always love buying the sports games at a discounted price. I'm not going to buy them on day one, but uh, you know, Super Bowl is just around the corner. My team didn't make it, so I can pretend like they made it in Madden. 18 and and have a good time so i'll probably i actually probably will pick that up right when we're done recording this so well that is (laughs) that is
0: pretty that's a that's a pretty good price i um i know that we are all very very well we many people are looking forward to super bowl in in a couple of weeks i am not i'm more looking forward to the puppy bowl (laughs) as i do every every year because it's the it's the greatest show on earth it really is but I, I I you know I, I can't I can't get mad for if, if you like football instead. So
1: Russell, what are you, what's your recommendation for this week? So this my recommendation has everything to do with with a complaint that my fellow Canadians on this podcast are going to mock me for. Um, but uh, it got it's really cold here for <laughs> for what I call cold, which I know is not the same as what you people call cold. Uh, so I keep I've spent just an extraordinary amount of money on things to keep me warm recently, uh, and I learned that Zippo, the lighter company, makes these little USB hand warmers uh, that that are really just like metal body batteries that that their only job is to get warm. Like they can they can charge things if you want them to, but their sole purpose is to is to be warm. Uh, and they're normally like fifty bucks, and right now uh, Thrifter has them at thirty.
0: Wow. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree with you because I'm at the dog park every day and my negative 30 capable winter gloves are never good enough. Yeah. I'm always running home with my fingers in agony because my gloves just aren't thick enough. So that those actually sound really, really good. Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to go with uh, something that's near and dear to my heart. It's a Onkyo 7.2 channel 4K audio visual receiver it's down to 650 and I'm I'm not saying you have to buy this exact one even though you could it's a really good one it's a $1000 normally it's now 650 it's not cheap however having a good quality receiver in your home especially when you have a 4K TV and a lot of you know a, a lot of set top boxes is, is worth it, not just for sound, but for making sure that in the future you have support for all of these crazy standards like Dolby Vision and uh, Dolby Atmos and DTS, whatever it's called these days, HDR10. This one in particular, the Ankyo 7.2, uh, I can't, I don't know, it's the uh, TXRZ820. It's got it all. You don't have to worry about it. If you buy it right now, you will get basically the, the standards that will survive for the next 10 years. I made that mistake. I bought uh, a receiver from Yamaha a few years ago. It supports 4K. It supports some of the standards, but I don't get nearly as many uh, benefits from this 4K TV that I just bought as if I had waited until now. So now I'm going to have to go and replace it because I'm just like that. I'm crazy. That said, just buy yourself a decent receiver and do it through Thrifter because they're awesome. So if you're interested in any of these deals, head to thrifter.com, sign up for their daily newsletter. It gets into your inbox every morning and it's full of really, really great stuff. And we thank them for their sponsorship. All right. So here is the meat of the podcast I want to talk about Android gaming. I had Mark on because he writes a weekly column for us highlighting the best games uh, available that week. You've also written extensively about your thoughts on the way that people buy games and spend money in the Play Store. Russell, if you're not familiar, has written every review we've had on Daydream, on AR Core, on Android gaming in general. Uh, You know, Pokemon Go, the biggest... AR game of all time it, it you know it, it it did huge numbers on Android it's it's incredible um so i wanted to kind of bring you two together to talk about the state of android gaming mark you wrote something that i really enjoyed a few months ago and it was all about whether or not in-app purchases are ruining the the state of android gaming so i'll start there Give us your take on this. Give us a brief description of the article and and, and how you feel about things right now.
2: Yeah, so basically, yeah, the article was basically just kind of taking a look at how mobile gaming seems to be kind of evolving. Uh, And I used some examples of games that I've loved to play from years years ago. Uh, The example that I specifically use is um, the FIFA series for mobile. Uh, You know, back when, like, I think I was rocking an iPhone at the time, but seeing that you could play fifa like fifa soccer um made by ea on your phone was like one of the best moments where i was like oh my god this is gonna be great i can't wait and it was it felt exactly like the console version of the game it was a paid app or and i think i paid like five or six bucks for it but it was totally worth the money and i i played it to heck like i, I just loved it but now these days especially with bigger publishers like ea that in the mobile space they they offer like the very similar gameplay in terms of, you know, the graphics are still great, the controls are still pretty good, but the way that you play and the way that you interact with the game is is changed so dramatically because it's they're, now they're free apps, so you think, oh great, I'm not spending money. But then the entire game is basically designed around these loot box or, you know, free-to-play models where you can play you can collect your daily allowances that they give you. But at the end of the day, if you really want to be competitive in online play or you really want to progress faster and, and and reach the heights of the game, they want you to spend money to buy things in game. And it's, and it's way more money, too, than you would ever get if it was just a, you pay right off the bat, like you pay your even $10 to get the game and then you just get the game. They want to milk you for as much money as you're willing to spend. So if you maybe it's only like a buck or two to get like a little pack here or there, or get some new cards, or or, or you know spend twenty dollars to get like a million gems to spend in the game. However, it works. It just seems like this is the model that they have found that rakes in the most money. So uh, and you see that now across so many of the bigger titles that come out on on Android, and it's kind of a problem because. That's not to say that there aren't really great paid games out there still, because there are. And arguably there's way more like fantastic games for Android right now than there ever has been. It's just that they don't get the same push in the in the Play Store, and they don't reach the same number of players as the big free games, because you download the free game, you play it for a while, but then you inevitably hit either a point where you're getting bored of the game and you just like done with it, or you start investing money into it, and then you kind of get you know, into that same kind of like lost. uh Well, I can't even remember the, the the right phrase here, but you know, where you put in so much money into this game that now you're like, well, I'm I'm gonna keep investing because this is an investment now. Like it's not even a game; right. people take it so seriously. Pokemon Go is a great example. I, I know some people who are like level forty, and they they talk about how when they do invest money in there, they have to be very strategic so they can maximize their lucky eggs and do all this. Uh and, you know, they're still having fun with the game, but they there's a grind and they know there's a grind and they prepare themselves to maximize the grind every time. And some people really like that. And that's great that that model exists for them. But I think in general, especially when these games are targeted towards kids, it's a dangerous thing to just like because there's going to be a whole generation of kids now that grow up playing these smartphones that just this is how games are when it's not the case. Like, it doesn't have to be like. There's so many indie developers that are making so many great games that are you just pay your your money to play, you experience the whole game, it's there for you. You don't have to spend any more money. There's no ads. And it's just a shame that those don't get as much of a push as, you know, your bigger games from like EA or bigger publishers. I I don't I don't mean to keep bringing up EA, but they are like the biggest gaming publisher out there. <laughs> I mean, there's there's good reason to yeah. do it. Yeah. But um, um yeah, so it's it's just a it's a weird situation because it seems like there's more money to be made with loot boxes, but there's just so many problems because they're basically, it's like a form of gambling because you don't know what you're getting. And yet it's sometimes the only way you can progress in the game or get better or get unlock new characters. It's just, it's really frustrating. It can be really frustrating. So, I mean, you brought up
0: so much there yeah. and I, I want to unpack some of it because you bring up, you bring up the parent thing, which I want Russell to talk about. Um, you bring up, the the promotion thing right the companies like king uh companies like microsoft that own um minecraft even minecraft may be a good example for the other side uh, ea as well totally like they dominate these these charts because they have the marketing budgets you see these ads on television yeah we got movies Arnold schwarzenegger yeah
2: you, you got, know like, is in Angry these Bird ads movies
0: now coming out and everything like Big. Right, Rovio was the one that began it all, but they began this revolution with a 99 cent Angry Birds, right? Yeah. It, it was it was a paid game. Um Russell, you are uh you're, you're kind of seeing this from both sides. You have you're a gamer yourself. You have the money to spend if you want on both premium and free-to-play games, but you're also seeing your kids playing games that you know they may be asking you to spend money on what how do you balance it like what's what's your strategy around it
1: i mean the, the biggest thing is to uh to keep an eye on on you know what specifically my kids are playing and, and what it is they they feel like spending the money is going to accomplish you know my, my kids are real big into roblox uh and the the most of the things that they want to spend money on on roblox are are you know like like different costumes for their characters and things like that. So it's not like a, not like a pay to win kind of thing so much as it is to pay to differentiate yourself from, from other people. And that is a little more obnoxious uh, from a parenting perspective because uh, you know, kids don't always have the the greatest concept of money and, and you know, five outfits for 20 bucks is a perfectly reasonable thing uh, to, to a nine year old. But yeah, so so they haven't really done too much diving into the, you know, pay for things that will make me better at this game aside from, you know, I if we're we're playing Pokemon Go as a group and they they, you know, they haven't done a whole lot of farming recently so they need a couple of revives in order to keep playing with us like, you know, that day then uh, you know then then that becomes the thing, but a big part of that is uh you know comes down to to kind of education with them you know they they understand that games like Pokemon Go and some of the other games they have ways for you to earn that money in game, and so the the first stop is to see what you can do to to earn that money in game to not just immediately lean on uh spending actual money to get it, and that has a lot to do with how I personally play you know i I caught a lot of flack on Android Central when I started talking about Clash of Clans a couple years ago, uh, because there's a lot of people who deeply resent that game as being a, a pay-to-win game. Uh, but the more I played, the more I realized that it was it was really just a uh, it was really just a grind, and what people were paying for, like Mark said, was to was to get out of that grind, uh, to you know to get to the next level. And there's there's just a universe of difference between uh, you know if i pay this much money i will be the you know i will be able to compete with the top ranked people in this game and uh you know if i if i play the game for another 10 hours then then i'll be enough to to get to the next level and and that i think is uh an an interesting reaction there you know to, to you know there there's a lot of gameplay mechanic that has nothing to do with uh spending money that has everything to do with uh with thinking that you deserve to be able to play with the people who are just the absolute best at at a particular game because that's what that's what we see uh other people doing when we you know we watch youtube videos and we see these tournaments uh where where people are playing you know as as gaming becomes this kind of public almost sports like thing uh then mm. then there's there's that there's a weird level of resentment for for people who are able to be you know the best in in a game like that, uh, because there, there's that immediate assumption, well, they must have they must have spent a thousand dollars. It couldn't just be because they're a better player than I am.
0: Right. Yeah, what's interesting um when Andrew and Alex and I were at the launch for the Honor View 10 in Vegas, the, uh, Honor had actually set aside a separate area of the facility for a um, Arena of Valor tournament. So they had invited a bunch of experts in in this game to play in real time, and they they were broadcasting these games on TVs around um, around the 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 facility. But it was it was really interesting because I, I mean, with with esports in general, right? You have big budgets being put into televising the you know the games themselves but also cameras on the people you know your um left hand on the keyboard right hand on the mouse or or whatever orientation uh people looking intently at these big laptops and yet that doesn't necessarily translate to mobile gaming right you have this tiny little screen people hunched over looking at you know how to move their their little hero um so you know i think the the culture is a little bit different but at the same time, there's just so much. There's so many people playing mobile games, Mark. That the money is there. The incentive is there for a company like Tencent to try to reproduce League of Legends on mobile, right? And and, and I, I think that is the kind of environment that's going to just push more and more developers to releasing games for free, and then hoping that once you get sucked in, you're just going to put eventually hundreds of dollars into it.
2: Yeah, uh, and it's it, it just like a such a successful model for that we've seen so many times in the past that you can't you can't blame companies for trying to go down that that route because uh, you know I'm I'm not a huge expert in like the business side of gaming but I know that it's got to be expensive to pay developers and to keep these games updated and and fresh content all the time and if people are just spending you know five dollars to to to, to buy the game the one time and you have no other way of just like getting more money out of them then you really just got to keep expanding your player base constantly or else you're going to plateau and i can understand that or you got to develop a brand new game like a sequel but with a lot of these games they can just like come out with the game it's free hook you know a couple thousand people really hard that are going to spend you know just crazy amounts of money uh you know i've it's it's cr- just crazy how much money some people will spend, and and sometimes it's you know you see the reports of like kids accidentally buying you know thousands of dollars of stuff, but there are actually people that do spend that amount of money. You can see them on YouTube. Oh yeah, with their loot box reveals where they'll just drop you know I don't know like five hundred dollars on just in game stuff, and it's like that's almost like their because their YouTube channel like they it's like an investment into this whole weird subculture that is is like beating this whole different side of the the gaming industry and the 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 thing i'm concerned about is i i don't want to see just more game companies shifting towards this route because i don't have as much fun playing games where you know every time you load up the game there's like an ad saying hey don't forget to buy more gems or whatever and those are easy enough to like close out or, or ignore but it's just that creeping feeling in the back of your head that like oh it's always there if i'm if I'm getting frustrated at this part, I can just like pay my way through it or or whatever i i, I just i don't know I feel like we're it's it's not even a mobile problem anymore it's just like a gaming problem if like it's on console games now too popping up more and more of these loot boxes or or DLC, even that like you don't even buy a complete game anymore. It seems it just, maybe I'm just sounding like an old man. I'm, only, I'm like thirty <laughs> years old here, but I feel like you don't. Kids these days don't even know what they're missing out on. Like
1: no, I. But we also saw in in the the I guess the the proper console gaming space compared to to mobile, we saw quite a bit of pushback this year yeah. last year against the whole loot box thing and and also you know to your point about you know not releasing whole games there was a lot of negativity uh you know towards that happening with uh with destiny 2 this year especially compared to uh the the release of horizon zero dawn which was exactly what you're talking about you know like a like a full beginning to end game uh that was just really good it didn't rely on online gameplay or loot boxes or anything like that uh and and yeah you're right it it is it is rare even in the console world for that to be like the default now you know because because a lot of it is just online gameplay uh and and so naturally seeing that in uh in, seeing that translate to the mobile space is is you know obvious because you know you're spending less time playing on a mobile uh interface because it's it's all about that uh, that adrenaline cycle
2: yeah, I feel like a lot of it has to to do with these bigger companies just staying like um, on on schedule with their shareholders on releasing these games on time, and and if that means that they have to release like a game and then like DLC three months later to complete the game because they have to hit these targets, uh, I, th- I feel like that's just you know kind of a problem with the industry itself, whereas a lot of independent developers. You know, I think the developers behind Cuphead are a good example where it's like they spent years and years and years making this like completely unique game that you could not have made if there was like a tight we needed to have this done by next year like March next year like they needed to spend all the time they could to make it look exactly and create the game that they wanted to and I think it really paid off for them I, I would hope I I I love the game I, I'm sure they had pretty decent sales just because it was unlike anyone had ever seen but you just wouldn't see that I don't think. Maybe I'm making some generalizations here, but you wouldn't see that from EA to create like just like release a game like that. You just wouldn't expect that from a big company these days in, anymore. So it's it's always a nice surprise when you see like an indie game that really takes off and 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 shows that like you can still make great games. So I, I wanna I
0: wanna bring this back a little bit to Android. I want yeah. I wanna focus on the Play Store in general. So for years, Android has been derided for not having the same caliber of games as ios and it started all the way back in 2009 with the with angry birds angry birds debuted on ios it didn't come to android for quite a while uh and and the disparity grew and grew and then somewhere i think the last three or four years that shifted and a lot of that had to do with Unity, Russell, and and the way that I think game developers were able to more easily adapt Android or iOS games to Android, but also the capabilities of the of Android hardware got much better. The um, improvements to OpenGL and the uh, ability for GPUs from Qualcomm and and, and others to access that that low level uh, gaming information made it easier for less powerful Android phones to give a similar experience as a high-end phone would have been able to uh, in years past. So now we're at a point where, you know, AAA games are released on Android, if not at the same time, then very similar. But for some reason, sometimes premium games are released for free on Android, either with, with ads or with kind of like a an in-app purchase system that may offer like you know you, you have to pay once to unlock the whole game or the business model may be completely different where is that disparity like why is it that android users are still not given the benefit of the doubt or is it just that Android users aren't spending as much money on premium games as those on iOS.
1: Yeah, you know it's a it's a weird culture thing. You know it's it's important to keep in mind that uh, you know Google had the uh, the app store and an app store where people could submit games uh, and and apps and things like that for Android before Apple did. Uh, you know had had a, a public app store, but. Uh, it was it was entirely limited to to free games at the time, and so it, I think it, it, you know free apps. They didn't have a payment system in the Android, the you know what was the you know the the app store there for for a while, and the the Android market kind of built that reputation uh, early early on, and I think you know you're you're looking at a lot of Android phones that already have kind of a a budget focus in mind anyway when compared to an iPhone uh you know there are people who are picking these phones up because they are you know 150 or 200 bucks instead of you know this the dramatically more that you would be paying for an iPhone to begin with so i i think that there's already you know kind of a a budget focus with a a, a much larger portion of the audience than you would get with uh with iOS users to start uh, it's not to say that there aren't plenty of people who would Spend money on a good app, but there, there's clearly a, a, you know, a segment of the, the market there, that, you know, is just plain isn't going to, you know, I, I think, uh, there's, there's a lot of people who just have never spent money on an app ever on, on Android, and I think that that group is just noticeably larger than it is on an iPhone.
0: Yeah, I mean, the market share for Android is just generally larger than on iOS anyway. Um, it's still around seventy percent to thirty percent worldwide. Some places in parts of Europe and Asia, that's much higher. In China, it's around eighty percent Android. Um, you know, it's not a it's not a direct comparison. Android has always catered to the budget market, whereas iOS has always catered to the premium market. People who are willing to spend money on a seven eight hundred dollar phone, more willing to spend money on a seven eight dollar app. That is, you know, it's a it's a correlation. I don't necessarily think it's the reason. But Mark, you in your in your weekly column you highlight a very interesting mixture of premium and free to play games and the free and, and the the, the free to play games that you do highlight week after week are ones that you say you don't need to grind yeah. these are high quality freemium games that don't require you to spend any money you can but you won't you won't enjoy the game less if you don't spend any money where where does the developer find that compromise how do you build a game where you can spend money but you don't need to
2: i think it i think it just comes down to the developers focusing on creating like gameplay first like something that's actually fun to play and not just something where you're mindlessly tapping around the screen and things are happening but you're not really fully in control of what's going on and then there's oh you know then, then just throw things to for you to buy i think there's a lot of uh, you know when i when i'm looking for game new games to look at when i download a game and i start playing it usually within like the first couple of minutes you can tell how this game is going to go down either it's going to be like oh this is actually pretty fun to play and i can see where it's like oh yeah you can just wouldn't it be helpful to have more things or items here and that's fine and then there's other games where you're just like this is all about funneling me towards buying in app stuff here like i can i can already see there's going to be roadblocks very early on, once like once you get through like the tutorial or something, then like the, you start seeing like those ads pop up for like, oh, if you need more coins, make sure you check in the store because you need more coins sometimes. And it's like, no, this is gonna be this is just gonna be constantly trying to to get me to to do that. So you can you can usually tell, and you, and you said sometimes too where games you can play the first chapter or something for free, and then it's like pay to unlock the rest of the story. I think that's probably the best way because then you know that like you get a chance to play out the game for a bit if it's something that you like, that's great. And then you can help support the developer by, you know, buying whatever the next level is or the whole, the rest of the story. Um, but that always to me shows that like, yes, there's in-app purchases and yes, they're still trying to make some money from you after you've played the game, but the gameplay is still at the core of the experience. It's not about them looking to make money. They're trying to make a really good game and they want you to appreciate that and give them money in in return, which is, you know how business works. But, um, it's just finding the games that don't aren't just there to, to to milk you dry, basically. So give give us a couple examples of your favorite free to play games that put gameplay first. Oh man, on the spot like this. Uh, I know there was like one recently, but I can't remember the name. I have to like Google it, but it was basically a No Man's Sky knockoff, essentially for mobile. But it was really well done with like really cool graphics, and you had to go around kind of scanning different organic life forms and stuff on these, like, different planets and and you got, like, the first chapter of the story first. I have to look this up when I have a moment here to find it, but um, it, again, it was, like, when I was, like, it was a really cool experience. I had not played No Man's Sky, so maybe I was coming into this whole, like, genre of more fresh eyes and I wasn't tainted by that game, but, uh, <laughs> it's just really really a cool concept on, on Android, played really well. And then by the end of like the first chapter, it's like, Would you like to unlock the rest of the game for like seven bucks? And I was like, Yeah, I wanna keep playing this. This is great. Um fuck, I gotta remember that name. Sorry, I don't know if we can swear on this or not, but uh, That's okay. Yeah. You can you can do it.
0: Um so R- Russell what are you like? What's your favorite kind of mobile game to to put a few minutes into while you're waiting in line at the grocery store? or
1: Something I, you know, I'm a big fan of of you know, kind of. Uh, I split my time between either either puzzle strategy games or like those those really rapid moving. Uh, how do you, how do we even describe those? Like the the instant action, you know, dodge things or or you know. Uh, jump, you know, oh, yeah, any, anything yeah. that's like those rapid action, rapid eye movement things that I can do just because they're, I know that the game's going to be over in a couple of seconds so I can, I can play through the round pretty quickly. Uh, but I, I split my time between that and, and kind of like deeper strategy games. Uh, I guess for example, uh, mini guns, uh, just cause it's, uh, it, it scratches that command and conquer itch just enough that I don't feel like sitting in my computer for six hours.
0: Oh my God, Command & Conquer. I spent so yeah. much time on those games. Oh man, that brings back memories. Do not pick up miniguns. Um, <laughs> I will definitely do that right after this. I, I I find that interesting too. There are some mobile games that try to recreate existing genres for mobile, right? We see this a lot, Mark, on platformers, right? Where they, they're either recreating games like Mega Man or something that actually have on-screen controls that are sometimes pretty bad or they're knockoffs of those those really popular games and and they do quite well because they're built with mobile in mind but there are other games and i and i i use threes as an example here because i love threes i think it's such a brilliant simple game that's built with mobile in mind built with the touchscreen in mind that you know just transcend the genre entirely uh, monument valley mm. is another great oh, yeah. example monument i think valley is amazing you know something that you really can't do on a pc i mean you can with a mouse and a keyboard but it's it just the 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 pinch to zoom the the multi-touch the way that we use our phones in portrait mode that game was built with a smartphone in mind and those the game, those are the games that really i think resonate with a wider audience and the reason that they're so critically acclaimed
2: yeah, totally, and and kind of like Russell so there's like two ways that I think people look at games. Either something that's quick to p- pick up and play when I've got some spare time, and then something that's like just really engaging that you can like play for as long or as short as you as you want, but that like offers something that's really unique to yeah to mobile gaming because uh, it's yeah it's the difference between just having some really slapped on uh, touch controls for for like a platformer, like you say. Uh, versus just a game that really intelligently uses the the touch screen in, in ways that, that really maximize it. Like um like I mentioned FIFA mobile. They started using like swiping for passing and shooting and stuff, which just makes so much sense because you can like aim with your finger like that and stuff. And before like the first one it was just like you know press the button to shoot and it was it's just once developers learned that like, oh yeah, this is like completely different. If I'm gonna bring this game over from you know pc or to from like a console spending the extra time to make it really work with with mobile uh you can just tell the difference and and i think that you know um gamers that really care about mobile gaming can tell the difference between like a developer that really puts the effort in to make a good experience from for mobile gamers and then ones that are just like hey this is a game you know but now you can play on your phone like it's, it's there's a nine oh, day difference. A
1: really good example of that. Uh, I huge shout out to the team at uh, Ubisoft. I think it's Paris, uh, who does all of the the Go games from popular oh, Ubisoft. Yeah, it's Ubisoft yeah. Montreal. Um, they're uh, you got two Canadians I'm on the line just here, Russell. That was that, that, was, up. that was that was really harsh. bad. I'm not going <laughs> to live that one down anytime soon. But yeah, Ubisoft Montreal, the stuff that they did with Lara Croft Go and Hitman Go. Uh, were just incredible because it was it was just enough to pull me into those games that I love playing, you know, sitting on my couch. Uh, but it was an entirely different gameplay feel, you know, for for each of those those games. It was they were both just so much fun to play, and yeah, they 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 could have been standalone games that didn't have the Hitman or or Tomb Raider names attached to them and still have been good games. But it you know Ubisoft knew that that was what was needed to to kind of you know pull people into that a little bit. But but it wasn't just a a slap together thing. Uh, you know, they, they were standalone, just amazing games.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a great ex- example of, yeah, taking uh, a franchise that we all know and love, like, uh, you know, either Hitman or Lara Croft or Days I think is the last one that they did, uh, and then bringing it to, yeah, mobile in, like, a way that makes sense and actually, like, it ju- is justified through the gameplay. Like, it's not just, like, because they did also, I think whoever owns uh, Tomb Raider, I think they also have like the original games available for Android too. But like playing those on your phone versus playing Go, which was made for it, it's just it's. I tried playing through just the tutorial of the first Tomb Raider on my phone, and it's just a nightmare. I don't know why they even bothered to do it. It's like almost unplayable.
0: But, I I have to say there are some remakes that are worth pursue oh, yeah. it and it does it
1: are you, are you gonna you're gonna
0: drop mist <laughs> i love i mean mist makes sense oh, right yeah. because the the team that recreated mist um spent a long time doing the mobile version and they they actually worked with a mobile developer on it um and it, it looks amazing like it it looks great it's my god like the mist the the story of mist is so interesting because they've re- they've remade the game like full on top down bottom up remake like three times they've rebuilt the assets from scratch for hd screens back in the late 2000s i think they've done it for they did it for ios which was a completely new remake and then for android they took the ios remake and then they optimized it again for HD displays because the original iOS version was built in like 2009. So they redid it again and then they brought that one to Android. So amazing. But no, I was going to mention um, Oddworld. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah that's Oddworld's the, that's, a good that's one. That's um, You know, those games, uh, The Stranger's Wrath, I think, is the new one that just came out. Or no, 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 new and tasty. Yeah. So new and tasty's the, basically, this is a really interesting one. So it's a 10, it's, a, it's $10 in Canada. I think it's about, so it's seven bucks in the U S and it is basically a remake of the original, um, Abe's odyssey. And it was built with mobile in mind, but this game is not meant to be played on low end devices. So this is, this is a remake that uses the high end hardware that are, that's common now in Android phones to its fullest. But it also says, "Listen, if you have anything that runs old hardware, you should not be downloading and playing this game, right? You should have this is this, these are the, the requirements: a two gigahertz dual core CPU, two gigs of RAM with at least an Adreno four hundred GPU, or an NVIDIA Tegra K one, or a, a, a Snapdragon processor with or an Exynos processor with an Arm Mali T seven XX, or a Power VR Rogue, or Intel HD graphics, like." You need hardware for this, right? And I think that's what we're seeing. We're seeing some developers really embrace this idea that smartphones are very powerful computers in our pockets that are capable of playing these games. But Mark, we've talked about this, on-screen controls hamper these kinds of experiences. So people are encouraged to like buy controllers for these games.
2: But is that realistic? Um, I mean... I bought a controller as soon as I could, just because if it's if there's an option to play with a Bluetooth controller, you should absolutely try it if you have one, because it does change, and just changes the way the game controls so much. Like uh, I think they like they, they there's a lot of re-release. Sony's or Sega's been really good at putting their back catalog with their the Sega Forever I think program. They're basically just like slowly adding their back catalog to mobile. And most of the releases they've had, thankfully, have had support for Bluetooth controllers. Because without it, it's it can be hard. Like trying to play Sega or like Sonic the Hedgehog with a touchscreen control is just not. It's just not the same. If you played it with a controller in your hand when you were a kid, I want basically the same experience. Although then when you start talking about controllers, then it kind of. Am I gonna am I gonna have a controller in my bag everywhere that I go in case I'm on the bus and I want to play a game? Probably not. So it's kind of got to be the mix of both. Where it's like, yeah, sometimes I do want to sit around, whip out the controller and play uh, a full on game on my phone because the future is awesome. But it's also got to have like at least you know some workable touch controls, and they've they've gotten better over the years for sure. But they're still a little finicky at, at times, and it can be frustrating. So. I think I think a Bluetooth controller is definitely worth it, but it's also not supported all the times for a lot of games, uh, so it's kind of like, you can't, ex- I don't know, I I feel like more developers should be doing that, and maybe it's just hard to to develop Bluetooth controllers, because I, I don't really know how the development side of things go into that, but I love it. Every time I see it, I'm I'm like, oh, I've got to test this out now, because it's going to make the, it's like the way the game should be played, I feel, so... Russell on the opposite
0: side of things most people don't carry around anything other than their phone and we're seeing very innovative ways of using the sensors using the cameras in our phones to their fullest i'll bring up it I'll bring it up again pokemon go was a sensation is a sensation still 100 like hundreds of millions of people still play this game it uses ar um it it uses our our GPS. It uses many of the sensors in our phones. Is this the kind of experience that we can expect from AAA games on phones going forward, or do you think that they'll always sort of be sequestered to? Hey, I'm on the subway. I'm just going to play a few rounds of Dots or or you know uh, Clash of Clans or
1: something. Yeah, I don't know. I think this year in particular, we're going to see something pretty interesting when it comes to that that push forward. Uh, for a couple of reasons. The first, uh, there was this thing that happened. Uh, our iMore colleagues had a had a moment of brief panic uh, a couple of weeks ago when someone uh, uploaded uh, like a like a cobbled together version of Cuphead uh, to yeah. to the App Store, and like for for like an hour, it seemed like this was a legit version of Cuphead that was in the App Store. Uh, which was which was huge because it was this you know this massively popular Xbox game that a bunch of people said hey this looks like it could be on you know the the looks like it could be on a phone, uh, and and the reaction was just tremendous. It just in that hour before it was discovered to be this kind of uh, arbitrary thing that got pulled down. But um, when you combine that with uh, the the insane portability of the Nintendo Switch, uh, which has just gotten really really popular over this last year, I I see it out in public. Uh, uh, way more often than I thought I was going to, and not just because I don't I don't ever leave mine at home. Um, there's there's just a lot uh, of of mobile gaming happening that's beyond kind of the the kid level mobile gaming right now, and so I I do think it's going to be interesting to see this year in particular how how far the the AAA publishing companies go uh, to do more than. Uh, you know what we've seen with uh, like Lara Croft go and things like that and we've also seen uh over this last year Square Enix uh started taking a lot of their their older more popular games and and either creating mobile friendly versions of them like we saw uh with Uh, With several titles that got released this last year, but also Fire
2: Fire Emblem, I think was a good one. Fire Emblem Heroes was a good one. Yeah, Uh,
1: you know, so we're gonna we're gonna continue to see more of that. I think so. I I don't know that it's gonna be like a direct, you know, hey, we put Cuphead on Android, Uh, but I think we're gonna see that envelope keep getting pushed forward to to compete with uh, what we're seeing from Nintendo, especially.
0: I mean, you bring up the Switch, which is the most popular console in the world right now nintendo's best console in 10 years it's making games that people could have only dreamed of playing on the go uh in a few years ago mario odyssey zelda um breath of the wild these are experiences that i think people have been clamoring for on mobile devices since smartphones existed Obviously that tactile experience is important but it also comes down to many of these games are purpose built for this form factor I mean they're all built for this form factor right um but at the same time we see the we see people wanting to use their game, use their phones to play more kinds of games, um, you know, with, with more people than ever before. I was at a Christmas party a few weeks ago, and the Jackbox games were pulled out. Yeah. Um, they're supported on almost every platform, including Android TV. These kinds of social games, Mark, smartphones are perfect for, right? You've written about these yeah. this many, many times. Um, and we see this not just in person, but with the latest phenomenon, HQ trivia, which (laughs) came to Android at the beginning of the year, this is a real time trivia game that everybody, I mean, it's like a million people now are playing it at 3 PM and 9 PM every day. What's your take on this? The smartphone is the, it's the logical next step, right? To these kinds of live trivia experiences, because we have our phones with them wherever our phones with us, wherever we are. But is this going to be a trend that
2: abates? Or do you think this is the new normal? I I got a feeling this is going to become like the new normal, like, because uh, HQ Trivia obviously was the first and kind of broke out on the scene out of seemingly nowhere late last year on iOS. I busted out my old iPhone specifically so I could start playing that before it came to, to Android, and it was like, it, there was like no other apps installed on this phone except for HQ Trivia. It was just like, that was it. <laughs> uh, but uh yeah, I feel like they really started a trend cuz there's now you know, I think there's 3 apps that I'm aware of now that offer this sort of live trivia style gameplay. Uh and you know, like you said, a million people tune in on like a Sunday night to play this with their friends and family and you know, not everyone knows about it still yet, but it seems like those that do are like obsessed with this and it's again it's a game that's free to play you can actually win money too which is always kind of nice it's kind of a rare flip here but you know i guess the, the the two the things that you always have to ask yourself is one how is hq trivia making money on their end because it's a business here obviously so there's got to be either funding that's gonna run out at some point if they don't start monetizing this and just like two where where is this gonna go like is this just going to be a thing, like, HV Trivia is just going to be a thing that everyone plays daily, like, and that's just going to be the new normal? Kind of like a Black Mirror episode? Or, like, I don't know, I, I would love to see more, more competition and more, like, worthy competition or different style of games showing up. I found, like, this weird app that was advertised to me on Instagram that lets you control crane games in Japan and try to win like, stuffed toys that will then get mailed to you if you win. Wait, what? Like, actual crane yeah. games? Yeah. In arcades? Yeah. Like, it's, it seems like it's just, like, a big big room set up with just all these different machines, and you can <laughs> wait in line to play them. Uh, they give you five, five free plays to start, and I burned through those in, like, two seconds, and then I was like, okay, well, I'm not gonna pay to play this game. But at the same what? time, That's I haven't so uninstalled weird. it just in case they give me more free plays, because it was, like, it was... It's as hard as a crane game is, except you're not even there to see it. But like, just the idea that like we're live streaming trivia, we're live streaming these crane games. What's going to be the next thing? Like, we're just going to start live streaming all sorts of things. So, oh
0: my god, the next big thing is that you're you're going to control a robot arm that will feed teenagers Tide Pods, <laughs> and the first teenager that you can feed a Tide Pod, you win. No, that's that's horrible. that is an actual episode um, of Black Mirror. <laughs> that's terrible. Yeah, kids in like juvie or something are going to get, oh, that's horrible. I'm such a bad person. <laughs> How could I say this? Um, no, I I, I, I just want to bring up this insanely stupid trend right now. Please don't eat tight. <laughs> don't pods. do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's actually really interesting. So first of all, that's like bringing together all of these horrible trends, right? It's Instagram ads, which are themselves <laughs> yeah. like a, just the most insidious, disgusting thing that track you wherever you are on the internet this idea that like some enormous warehouse in Japan just has a bunch of these crane games with nobody surrounding them. Like there's no enjoyment coming from them at all, no. other than they're just plugged into a massive outlet and then people around the world are controlling them. Uh, <laughs> that's so weird. Rumor. Oh my God, that is such a black mirror game. Uh, such a black mirror episode. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the, like I've seen this. I've se- I've been in at bars where, at 9pm, everybody will stop what they're doing and take out their phones and play HQ Trivia. And it's it's both a very personal thing, but it's also a very social thing. And I, I find that fascinating. Yeah. I,
1: what did I see recently? I also saw I was, it blew me away. You know those games where you write, uh, you you have the name of like a a, a character or, or a famous person written down on a card and everyone puts the card up on their forehead and tries yeah. to guess what everyone else there was a i there was a group of people at the bar that I was at last week playing that but it was all on their phones yeah so like they it, were holding their phone up to their head and it had the it had the card uh up there and it was like it was like animated like it was pulsing red to give like a timer so everyone that was was trying to give uh, suggestions knew that there was a timer involved so it like there's this whole category of bar games that that are that are these interactive group experiences that are all run on your phone. And I, I find them deeply fascinating. Yeah, totally. So Russell, the last thing I want to
0: talk about is AR um, and VR. So I was, um, I was given sort of a, a demo by this Toronto company of a board game built for iOS. Um, I forget the name, but this was around where, when AR kit had just emerged with a, with iOS 11 and, a lot of developers were being encouraged to adapt their existing games to support AR. There was another one, King of Pool, another Canadian developer that was, you know, asked very nicely by Apple. And when Apple asks, you do it to recreate their their pool game in AR. Um, and I, I found this really interesting, this idea of like using your phone to literally augment the exact same game, but in, in, in real life, you know, using open space in your home or wherever you are. Uh, at the same time, as I mentioned, Pokemon Go ha- has blown up and, and will continue to inspire other AR games. Uh, where do you see this trend moving with with AR in particular? But do you see the, the bulk of gaming moving to this, in this direction? Definitely not.
1: No, it's, it's actually been a really slow burn on, on iOS. It was, it was, you know, this really impressive game demo that we got when Apple first showed off AR Kit on stage, uh, you know, and it led a lot of people to think that gaming was the future. And then a couple of things happened, uh, you know, Niantic released, a, and what they call AR plus, uh, for, for the iPhone and a, like people immediately turned it right back off. There are very few people that I see out in the world actually using the, the AR kit enhanced version of Pokemon go. They, they still continue to play the the normal way, even though there's like, there's like in-game bonuses for using AR mode now, but it's, it's still not worth it to a lot of people. Uh, can you, can you, sorry to interrupt, can
0: you give a little bit of an explanation as to what AR Plus is on Pokemon yeah, Go? Yeah, so
1: the original version of, of AR mode on, on Pokemon Go was it basically took the Pokemon and, and you know, used the camera for, from your phone so that it looked like you were catching the, the Pokemon in the real world. And it was fun to take photos of and, and have fun with that, but there was no depth information, so the, the Pokemon would just kind of float in front of you and it, it wasn't very interactive. With AR Plus, it uses uh, uses AR Kit to an event AR core uh, to grab depth information so that there 's an actual set distance that that creature is away from you uh, and, and they, they create uh, the, the Pokemon style tall grass for the the character to, to hide in, and you can physically move closer to the the Pokemon in order to get a better shot at catching it and If you sneak up on one of these Pokemon using this, this mode, then you get what 's called the expert handler bonus where you you gain uh, you know in game experience and and Stardust and things like that for for doing this you know going through the the process of sneaking up on this character to to catch it uh, but it's it 's really kind of complicated because you first have to give the phone the depth information it doesn 't just immediately start working when you turn on uh, the the, the depth mode, like everything else that runs an AR on our phones right now, you have to do this kind of rotation thing with your phone where you kind of you kind of move in a circle uh, so that enough depth information is given you know to to create that that map and uh, if you if anyone has ever used AR stickers on uh, on the pixels. It's that same process, you know, where you have to kind of move the phone around a little bit and then it gives you that grid and it says, "Okay, this is where you can start placing those AR stickers." It's a very similar experience in Pokémon Go right now.
0: Yeah. Oh, I I mean, that's a really good point, right? Google is also trying to use AR core um to essentially gamify many you know, static experiences, but there's there is definitely a gaming element to everything in ar even if it isn't explicitly an a a game Um, and we saw this a lot with tango early google Mm -hmm. tango demos that informed where ar core eventually went and tango was recently canceled and most of the resources will now be put into ar core um and and just uh just to sort of finish that thought, Russell, what about VR gaming? You know, we saw this a little bit with with Daydream when it debuted in late 2016. That's also, I would say, slowed down from my perspective. What's the state of gaming in in VR?
1: I gaming is is really the only thing that people are doing in VR, you know. And when it comes to the larger headsets. Uh, you know the the HTC Vive and Oculus Rift and and PlayStation VR, they they've continued to grow uh, at a pretty significant play- pace. I mean, the what Sony has done with the the PlayStation VR as far as popularity is is just dwarfed what anyone else is doing, uh, in in VR right now. As, as far as the mobile headsets go it has slowed down a bit. You know, we haven't heard as much about, you know, big games that are coming out, uh, to, to play. There's a whole lot less in the way of, uh, exclusives, uh, across this, which is a, a pretty significant difference from say a year ago when, when Google was, you know, pretty regularly announcing that there were, you know, new things coming to, to daydream. There's still lots of apps that are, that are released on an almost weekly basis, uh, that, that do a lot of really cool things and, and games that are a lot of fun to play with. But, uh, it, there's there's been this pause and I feel like some of that was probably Google pausing for daydream standalone. you know now that we have a daydream standalone headset from Lenovo that was announced at CES, uh, I feel like we're we're gonna you know see a separate push you know towards that uh, and and Oculus is likely doing the same thing with the Oculus go headset, which is this kind of you know separate Android based uh, you know headset. Where it's it's all this very cheap Android hardware inside of this headset uh, with with its own set of games, so I I think it, you know, everything's kind of in this weird holding pattern because of that, and that that may be why it feels like things have slowed down a little bit. I I hope that it hasn't you know just slowed down a little bit because people have stopped buying them. I I don't think that's the case, but Google and Oculus both are very cagey about releasing those kinds of numbers, so it's a it's a little difficult to track. Um, you know, before we end, I do
0: want to take a moment to thank our second sponsor and this is not you know it, 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 it's totally coincidentally also a gaming focused sponsor and 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 mark you know about the service uh this is GameStash, and we've spoken about game stash a bunch of times on the show because it's a really easy and cheap way to play hundreds of android games premium games and free-to-play games that have become premium games by eliminating all those in-app purchases for $4.99 a month. So you get great games, new and old, that are available on the Play Store, and you spend four ninety nine dollars per month, and you can play as many of these games as you want. Uh, Badland is a great example of one of these games that you would pay for on Android, on the Play Store. And uh, you get the you get access to the entire Badland, which has been updated for years. It's still one of the great great Android games. Uh, in addition to new ones that are that are uh, introduced every week, Evoland is another great older RPG that you can play with a GameStash subscription. And as I mentioned last week, all the new Mega Man and Tomb Raider games. Yes, even the ones that have a couple you know problems with their controls. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you could find out for yourself those are also added recently and if you want to try GameStash you can do it for free for 14 days that's two full weeks by going to gamestash.com/acpod that's gamestash.com/acpod and as always we thank them for their sponsorship all right so we're going to end uh the ga- we're going to end the podcast this week with some recommendations so mark let's start with you what what are the, some of the games that you are absolutely loving right now and you would Highly recommend. doesn't need to be premium or yeah. whatever, but you, the games that you just can't stop playing.
2: Well, first off, I just wanted to, to go back to the point I was talking about with the No Man's Sky game, which is one of my games I recommend. The game is called Morphite, and you can play it for free and then unlock the full game with no ads uh, with an in-app purchase. Definitely worth checking out. Um, it was really cool and I played it. Uh, but most recently, um, I'm still obsessed with uh, Bridge Constructor Portal, which just came out at the end of last year, it's like the bridge constructor game where you try to build a bridge across this thing, except it's been thrown into the portal universe and so now you have to contend with, you know, using portals and all the crazy gels and the the turret bots that you find in the portal series. It just adds a wonderful layer of like, like complexity to what's already a really fun game in like bridge constructor. Uh, it's a premium game, so you, you pay for it and then you just you know, try your best to get through all these tests, courses, um, just one of the best surprises that I've played in the last little bit. I love it.
0: And, and funnily enough, actually, if you look at the top charts on the on the Play Store, Bridge Constructor Portal is number three, at least where I am in terms of premium games, which is pretty impressive, considering that the the ones in front of it are, you know, the 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 most popular games in perpetuity minecraft and geometry dash which have been there forever bridge constructor portal is number three and and it, it's a awesome game yeah. awesome awesome game
1: um russell what about you well i talked about it earlier i'm i'm a huge fan of uh miniguns right now it's a, it's a really simple you know kind of a a very i don't want to say dumbed down but simplified you know kind of tactical strategy game where you have you know you you can pick a bunch of different troops and you can send them across the field the the goal is to blow up the other person's base uh there's there's a fair bit of resource management that goes into into the game and and kind of uh impulse strategy it it all happens on the screen at the same time so there's no like pinching and zooming to other parts of the map so you you have kind of a short amount of space and you really have to learn how the the characters work and and how to you know send them different places in order to build different strategies and because the game is built around three different armies that all have kind of different strengths and weaknesses and and your character you as the general kind of rotate between these armies you're you're actually building three separate forces uh that that you kind of have to to tweak until you get to to your play style and so it, it gives me uh you know, it it gives me a lot of joy to, to go through and, and build these little armies and, and, you know, take out a whole bunch of other people that are playing or just be mercilessly crushed when I, I, you know, get someone who has been playing the game for far longer than me.
0: Yeah. That, that sounds intimidating. Um, but, but really awesome. I, I definitely will be downloading that. Um, Well, okay. So mine is, it's a little, little different. It's a game that, uh, is, um, it's, it's called really bad chess. And it's one of those games that you don't think you're going to like, and then you play it once and you're completely addicted to it. The way it works is basically it takes the game of chess. If you've ever played chess, uh, it's quite difficult, especially against very intelligent AI And it throws all the rules away and lets you randomly generate boards full of very powerful pieces. So you can have, like, three queens and four bishops. Um, And this completely changes the way that you play chess because your opponent does not have the same number of those pieces. It's so That's weird, bizarre. and yet it makes sense when you play it. I'm gonna have to check because that the out. rules are the same, right? You still have to get your king, the other person's king, and checkmate. Um, and with playing it, you get um, uh, higher difficulty levels, and you only have one queen against their two or their three. Uh, it makes you a better chess player, but it also just takes the stress out of chess because chess, chess is a very rigid game. Rules are everything. And by removing a lot of those restrictions, it kind of allows you to lose without feeling bad about it. Um, this is from the the same developer of, uh, I want to say, um, so it's made by oh, Zach Gage. That's the guy. So Zach Gage is an amazing indie developer. He started his, 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 uh, career-making kind of iOS puzzlers, and he made one of my favorite games. It's called Spell Tower. I still play it all the time. Uh, he made a game called Ridiculous Fishing, which is another really simple yet really rewarding game, And or he didn't make it, but he co-made that one. And um, he also made something called Sage Solitaire, which is another awesome variant of um of a a a game that everybody knows right solitaire so highly recommend it and it's available for free on the play store and it's awesome so yeah any other recommendations before we go guys no i think i'm good over here i'm surprised you didn't
2: bring up uh death death road to canada because that game's amazing. yeah that's another game too if you if you're down with paying for premium games death road to canada uh It's like a roguelike zombie survival game where you try to make it from the States up to Canada to avoid the plague of zombies that are everywhere. And it's just, yeah, there's a lot of replayability in that game. You just keep every time you die, you just start over with fresh character and it's a new adventure every time. It's really fun. Yeah, it's it's awesome.
0: Okay, well, uh, that was way longer than the hour that, that we thought it would be because there was just so much to say. Uh, Mark, Russell, thank you so much for joining us. This was uh, really, really fun. Yeah, it was good. Mark, um, where can people find you online if they, if they want to learn more about you?
2: Oh, yeah. Um, mostly on like Twitter, MarkTheGase88 on Twitter uh, and Instagram if you want to see a bunch of pictures of my cat and my parents' puppy and stuff but yeah mostly the very situation. cute yeah.
0: okay awesome and and russell what about you
1: i am at russell holly on everything yes you are um my name is daniel
0: bader you can find me at journey dan on all the things you can find all of us at AndroidCentral.com, And and uh, you can find that puppy in my dreams because i love dogs um you what's your dog's name russell i forget may read may read got it right very cute um That's it for us this week. We will be back next week with a regular, lots of news, lots of cool things uh, run up to MWC podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you then. Bye-bye.
1: Bye.